Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast from number 40. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. Later on this show, we'll be talking to author Nancy Jo Sales about her new book, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno. But before then, let's have a little check-in. Kim, how are you doing this week? You know what, Romolini? The, the insomnia continues, so I'm really fucking tired. Really tired. But I am good. Everything is good. It's like it's spring, which is just like magical. We're not, we're allowed to walk down the street without our masks on. If we've been vaccinated, that too feels magical. And I feel like I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I am, um, I don't know. I think maybe I'm struggling a little tiny bit with re-entry. I'm starting to realize like how much it is to organize a life, you know, like I have, I have a school camping trip that I have to now because everybody, all the parents are back. So now it's like end of year school camping trip. And we went to a party the other day, which was really nice. And I was really happy to be there. But the whole time I was like, am I talking correctly? What am I saying? Are the words weird? You know, and then I had, this was the thing that's not happened to me in a long time. I had one drink and then I was into a second drink and I was like, oh, am I drunk? (laughs) Like, how am I going to talk? And it was like a party for parents. I was like, how am I going to talk to this dad? You right. know, like, so it's just, I'm feeling in the transition out of COVID times, I'm feeling overwhelmed, like sensory overwhelmed and just like calendar overwhelmed. And I know that sounds so asholic, but I'm like, like every weekend is now there's shit to do, which is exciting, but it's like also just, I don't know. It's there's that Emily Flake thing of like, did you see this cartoon she did that was so amazing? She was a guest on Everything Is Fine before, but she did this. She did this amazing cartoon, which is like just that she feels like a gross monster and like can't imagine talking to people. Like, what are mouths? <laughs> I'm looking. Are you looking at my mouth too much? Am I looking at your mouth too much? <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I'm. I'm feeling, but I'm. I'm happy that it that you're not having the same creepy creature feeling that I'm having. I'm not having the same creepy creature feeling, but you know, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have suffered from pretty serious depression in my life. And COVID actually, at the beginning at least, was not that hard for me. And people wrote articles about it, that people who've had depression, like, and who often would just stay at home in their little world instead of going out, actually handled COVID pretty well. And did not get unhappy. So as, as excited, you know, as much as I'm happy that things are going back to normal, I'm also like, as my brother said at the beginning of all this, I'm the original social distancer. Right. Well, I think that there is also a thing of like, 
I think that, I, and, and what I've been, I've been reading some things about this, like people like me who have a lot of social anxiety, it is a thing of like, I adapted to it fine. I was like, in some ways I was like, great. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. like, yeah. I never have to feel the weird, like push pull of like, do I want to do this? Oh, I'll let them down if I don't. And, and I think that coming out of this, there is going to be a challenge between people like me and people who are like, let's go, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> let's, let's jump in the pool. This is great where I need to like sort of slow walk my way out. I totally get that. Now we've got a really interesting episode today. It is slightly discouraging. Yes. And a little dark. It's about online dating and- And a little graphic. And a little graphic as well, (laughs) frankly. But I think it's really important. I will say that I have a slightly more hopeful view of online dating than Nancy Joe does, but everything she says makes an enormous amount of sense. Everything she says makes an enormous amount of sense. And also, you know, what she says is that she wasn't ultimately looking for like a long-term relationship. She didn't want to get married again. Mm -hmm. So in some ways she was looking for, you know, let's say more limited companionship Mm -hmm. um, as a euphemism. (laughs) But so, but, but it is interesting what she found and I, I, you know, and it is disturbing and just, just warning there. We talk a lot about dick. So (laughs) (laughs) we talk about, all right. We talk about dicks and also dicks, dicks with dicks, dicks with dicks. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into it. Joining us on the show today is Nancy Jo Sales. Nancy Jo is the New York Times bestselling author of American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers, and The Bling Ring, How a Gang of Fame-Obsessed Teens Ripped Off Hollywood and Shocked the World, which was adapted into the 2013 film of the same name. Nancy Jo's work has appeared in Vanity Fair, New York, The Guardian, and many, many other publications. And her latest book, Nothing Personal, My Secret Light in the Dating App Inferno, which is an absolute must-read for anybody who's interested in that world. We are former co-workers, and she's somebody I've always been really fond of, and I'm super happy she's here. Welcome, Nancy Jo. Thank you, Kim. It's so exciting to see you. I mean, I don't feel like I've seen you enough since those days, because it does feel like old home week. Oh, it's so awesome. And it's been decades, literal decades. I know, it's too long. I'm super excited to get into this weird, freaky world of dating apps with you. But, you know, I I was curious. You've covered so many topics over your career as a journalist, but your last two projects have centered around the world of dating apps, right? What made you want to explore this? I really got into the whole dating app thing Um, Well, first I was using them, which you know from the book, but in terms of subject matter, I came to them through teenagers. I, I have had like a kind of unofficial beat of teens since I was at New York Magazine, as, as Kim knows, Um, they just kind of put me on the teen beat and I was covering teenagers there. And then again, I following at Vanity Fair, not exclusively, but you know, it would just sort of come up. There's a story in the news that relates to teenagers, or we want to know what the kids are up to, mm-hmm. the editors would say. And so they would send me out to do that. And I really started to, because I cover teenagers and, and especially since I had a daughter who's a girl and, you know, and living, trying to live in the world, navigate this new, uh, you know, being a digital native herself. And uh, I wanted to understand more about what was going on with social media and girls around the mid 2000s, especially since 2012. I don't know if you remember this, but there were a lot of stories in the news about cyberbullying of teen girls, suicides of teen girls. There was a really, really moving and terrible uh, thing that happened. A, A Canadian teenager named Amanda Todd killed herself and she put her, she put her, uh, suicide note online oh. and it's still it's still on youtube and i saw that and it really really affected me and it kind of changed my life because i immediately said oh my god what is going on because all we were hearing from you know media at that time now this is quite a while ago um was that teenagers were just loving social media and it was just fantastic for them and it was creating all kinds of great ways that they could express themselves. This was, you know, 
partially true, but it was also a lot about the Silicon Valley marketing teams telling us how great all of this was for our kids. You know, meanwhile, I was tracking these these things in the news that looked like they were really not great at all, especially for teenage girls. There was Steubenville, you know, mm-hmm. the the you know a rape of a, a teenage girl that happened there, and then video of it was put online, and our whole town cyberbullied her for it, slut shaming, all this. Anyway, so. I went to Graydon Carter, my boss at Vanity Fair, and I said, I really want to write about this. It really wasn't a Vanity Fair story per se, but he got behind it and he said, you know what? I want you to just see, just just go out there and try and see what's going on in general. Like instead of focusing on just one case or one occasion, because that's been something that I have, you know, I I don't know, done or had a facility for is kind of like, taking the temperature and, and kind of like, you know, riding the zeitgeist and kind of feeling out what's going on, like in a more general sense, I've done that in the past. So he said, try and do that. So I did, I went to, the first place I went was Los Angeles and I'm getting to the dating app part. So first, one of the first people I talked to on this story, I just went to the mall, I went to the Grove in LA <laughs> and, you know, you know, talk to kids. I like to, I've always found that I, I have better conversations and realer conversations outside of schools, you know, or outside of the watchful eyes of parents or teachers. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of go and find them where they are and, and, and where their watering holes are. And so I went to the Grove, I sat down with this teenage girl and she started telling me the story. It wound up being the opening anecdote, the lead of a story that got published in Vanity Fair in 2013 called friends without benefits. And it was really about sex and dating as pertains to teenage life and teenage girls in, in the digital age. And nobody had really been writing about this yet. And I found it so just uh, fraught with things that were concerning and disturbing, not, not like the sex part per se, but the way people were treating each other on mm-hmm. these apps and these platforms and the way that girls in particular were being spoken to, treated, treated as objects. And so she takes out of her purse, her, phone she said I you know I'm just I'm heartbroken this guy broke my heart and I'm just going to go on tinder and lose my virginity just just whoever and she starts showing me how to swipe this is the first time I saw tinder she starts showing me and she's talking to men who aren't her age you know she's talking to like 30 year old men and this was and she's a you know um she's underage uh and and really a child and a, a kind of confused and upset child who's had her heart broken and here she's talking to 30 year old men who are saying like hey I'll meet you at the club or whatever you know and um I just said to myself oh my god this is going to change everything this is I I was not on dating apps yet myself this is the first time I had heard about them mm-hmm. but then what happened was so I wrote the story was you know all a viral story because I think because so many people are having this experience, parents, kids all over America and all over the world. And um, it wind up being the basis for this book that you mentioned that I wrote American girls, social media and the secret lives of teenagers. But then, so now cut to, uh, you know, almost a decade later with this book that I have now coming out, nothing personal is about how I myself had the very same experience as this young person who told me about dating apps I also uh, not much later than what happened to her just really less than a year later I also had my heart broken and I was dating someone it didn't work out and I was lonely and upset and a lot a lot of times these apps are really used in this way and and a young a young friend of mine a bartender at a sake bar where I go a lot uh, Saki Barsatsko, he said to me, why don't you just, why don't you just go fuck somebody on Tinder? That's what I do. He said, why don't you just go fuck somebody on Tinder? That'll get it, you know, wash it out of your, that man out of your hair. Just go, just go fuck somebody. It's really easy. <laughs> and I said, really for me though, like I, I'm at this point much older, you know, I'm 49 years old at this point. And I was like, really, I can do that. And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, do it. So I went on not Tinder, but OkCupid was the first app that I went on because most of my young women friends who I also knew from doing stories and so forth were on OkCupid. And I had seen it on a desktop before, but, you know, I go on it and uh, 
I wandered into something that I never expected. And, and that was, you know, at some t- sometimes very funny and comical. I mean, there were plenty of t- things I think I talk about in the book that are like, I mean, to me, just hilarious. But then there were other things that were very dark and disturbing. And I think that these are things that most people, if not certainly most women, experience on these apps. And I wanted to be honest about it and real about it because I think too often we are told this rom-com version of dating life that that isn't really most people's experience at this time. But anyway, so that's why I wrote this book because I wanted to tell the truth about what I'd been through and hopefully for people who, you know, aren't having that perfect experience, which I think is a lot of people who they can relate to and say, you know what, I don't feel so alone now. That happened to me too. Yeah. Well, that feeds very nicely into my next question. You know, I've, I have dated a lot on the apps. I've, you know, I've been divorced for a long time. Um, and dating on the apps, I really do find in general is awful and fraught. And in a place like New York City, the scales are eternally tipped towards men. Absolutely. What is a woman over 40 to do? It's not like there are all these easier ways to meet people that existed when we were younger. Oh, not at all. I mean, that's one of the things that I talk about in the book. You know, since you and I were gals about town at the exact same time, I'm sure you remember. Now, one thing I want to make very clear, in fact, I can't stress enough, I am in no way romanticizing the past. I mean, if you read the book, you'll see like, I, I've had I had problems a lot before dating apps ever came along. Mm-hmm. I had marriages and relationships that ended in disaster. And, uh, you know, incidents of sexual, even in sexual assault. But, but, but I do remember in the 90s having, before this stuff became the only way to date, I do remember having a lot more fun. And that wasn't just because I was younger and because my body was younger. That, that's not why. It was because there was not so much choice and choice always sounds like a good thing, but it's not always a good thing. When there's too much choice, it just becomes like impossible to make Mm -hmm. a, to make a choice. And that's, you know, the dating FOMO is very real. It was, it was because people focused on each other more. Phones were not involved. People actually went on dates. People actually talk to each other out and about in the land. (laughs) You know, I I think I talk about in the book, I I used to meet guys everywhere, you know, just everywhere. And you'd strike up a conversation. And next thing you know, you're off to the races and you might date for a a week or a month or three months or a year. But there was more fun. It was just more fun. It was more haphazard and random, which sounds bad, but it was good because actual chemistry would come into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I remember having all this fun. And that's one of the things that I bemoan the most about this corporate takeover, this, this capitalistic invasion, I really is what I think it is, of our intimate spaces, especially dating, because I don't think that it allows us to have true adventures and to have discovery and to have um, those moments that could not have been planned, could not have been engineered by some tech bro in, in Silicon Valley who, who, you know, came up with a new feature on the app so that, you know, you can do X, Y, or Z. I find dating apps very conformist and they're certainly not designed uh, with women. I think with women in mind, I think they're sort of designed by and, and for men for the most part, but certainly not older women. When I first went on these apps, I remember on Tinder, it only went up to age 40. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. It said like 18. That's crazy. And younger people went on and still, no, it was, it was 13. No. Yeah. Now they've changed it. I think in part, I can't really definitively claim credit, but I think in part because of all my criticism and maybe others criticism as well, but they, they changed. It used to be 13 to 17 year olds could be on there. Now it's, it's like gone up to 18. So it was like, it was like 13 to 40. Right. And I was 49. And I'm like, (laughs) I guess I'll just go on there and see what happens. And what happened was that I matched almost all the time with very young 20 somethings. 
like the, the early 20 somethings. So those were my most matches. Like the, I think there's a fascination for older women. And it's certainly, you know, what I realized later when I started researching more, it has to, a lot to do with what they call MILF porn, older ladies and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So I guess you, what your question is like, what is to be done? What is to be done? How are we supposed to date? I don't think I know. I don't really have a lot of answers. I think one thing it's important to do though is talk about how none of this is normal, none of it's acceptable, none of it's okay. And by none of it, I mean like the lack of response from these, from these, you know, companies about sexual assault, harassment, and all of the different things that happen on these apps, and people have no recourse because, you know, Section 230 protects them from having any sort of uh, accountability, which I think is outrageous. I want people, men, women, all people, all genders, all sexual orientations to have love, to have intimacy, to have good sex, to have um, true connection. That's, that's really what, what the goal is, right? Totally. And I do not think that these apps facilitate that as much as that's the, the, I think, false promise of their marketing. I do not think they facilitate that. In fact, I think they're a block to that because I think it's a bad faith proposition where, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to, yeah. to anybody who really looks at it where they really just want you to use the app. I mean, it's all about you. It's all about use. You know, sometimes a woman will, a young woman will, will reach out to me and say, hey, I deleted dating apps because of you. And I'm so much happier. This really has happened a number of times because I think that the pressure and the weird kind of hmm. coercive nature of it all and addiction is, can get very exhausting. That's a word I hear a lot. So exhausting. I mean, I will say uh, exhausting to go on the dates, exhausting to recover from the really bad dates. And also just exhausting. Like I would get into this thing where I would be like, swipe left, swipe left. You cannot go to bed until you swipe right on one person. Like, and that can be really hard. Yeah. And actually the app doesn't care. I mean, the, the algorithms don't care if you're swiping left or right. They really don't care. They just want you swiping. That's the whole, the mm -hmm. whole thing is use. You know, I don't, know if you all saw there was a reddit thread by dating app employees uh, of dating app employees i'm speaking anonymously about the apps earlier this year on the one hand reading it i felt very vindicated because it was like everything i've been criticizing for years and so i felt vindicated in the sense that oh wow i'm right but i also just my heart just sunk thinking of the millions and millions of people all over the world who are partaking in this lie really. And, and I actually printed it out because I wanted to read a few to you in case you hadn't heard about it. So number one, the amount, this is the words of a dating app employee on a Reddit thread. The amount of unsolicited dick pictures, you know, dick pics, yeah. men would send women, not even accompanied by any words was horrifying. Uh -huh. We used to, this is number two, we used to create fake accounts and chat with users it was everything. Okay. So in other words, like they want you hooked. So they, sh I'm sure this happened to me a couple of times and it happens to men a lot too. Like they'll have this really hot person match with you and then send you a few lines like, Hey, what's up or whatever. So, because you get that dopamine rush, you know, you're so excited, like, wow, he matched with me, you know, or she matched with me, but then they just, get you going enough and then they disappear. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, you feel like the prince with Cinderella's shoe. You're like, where'd they go? So you keep, it's a psychological thing where you keep swiping in order to find, if not that person, then someone, you know, just as good, you know? And Nancy Joe, I think I've always thought, and I've had, you know, I've had terrible luck on the apps. I've had brilliant luck on the apps. But the thing about the apps is it's very different from real life where you meet somebody at a dinner party or like going to see a band and somehow you've got a network already built in of mutual friends and people who can vouch for this person. And the fact that there's some that, you know, in the past you would meet people who knew people you knew um, also created accountability and there's no accountability. Absolutely. That's one of the big problems. And, you know, studies say that people who get together through, through mutual connections have a, the relationships that grow out of that have a higher success rate long-term. Now I'm not saying that 
you know, necessarily every woman wants to get married. I certainly don't at this stage of my life. I've, I'm not like miss marriage. I've had two terrible marriages. I don't ever want to be married again. It's just not for me. I'm a single, I'm very happily a single parent. My daughter's almost 21. So she's in, in college and everything. So I'm not like taking care of an eight-year-old but anymore, but I, I, I'm happy. I like, I like being single. H- however, I do think that one of the other problems is that if you are just looking to hook up, which frankly I was sometimes and nothing wrong with that because a lot of people do, um, the sex is terrible. That's what I, well, that's okay. That's what I wanted to ask because obviously, so just for context, I have not been on a dating app since nerve.com. And like, I definitely went through a very, like, you know, very promiscuous stage before I met my husband and, you know, and, and that had diminishing returns. But of course, there is a grass is always greener thing. And when you're talking about like MILF porn and, you know, being objectified as an older woman, there's, there has to be some kind of charge in that and some value. Like, I'm thinking, oh, it'd be cool to have some hot sex. But maybe it's, it's only, not. If only, if only it were hot, you know. I mean, like a clock, a broken, even a blo- broken clock strikes twice a day. So yeah, I did have a couple of times, and you know, you you use the word promiscuous. Well, I I I know it's a valid word and everything, and I think you know, I I I, I respect the spirit in which you use it about yourself. It's fine, but I think that sometimes that word also brings with it a taint of slut shaming, which I reject because I, I love to have sex with men. Okay. Like that's one of my favorite things to do ever, (laughs) but not any man and not any sex. Like it's just changed. It really has changed. And I can tell you as a 56 year old woman, who's been, and I'm sure Kim sounds like you've noticed too, who's been having sex since I was a teenager, like four decades the quality of what happens in bed has changed a lot. And I've related this and and I've noticed, noticed this in my own life and I've related this in my, in my writing. And and so have others to porn, to the, to the rise in the accessibility of porn. I don't think there's any question. I mean, it's like pretty obvious and that, that, you know, men who watch porn have different expectations for, what it means to have sex with a woman. They're, in my experience, and studies bear this out, believe me, just, it's all in my book, you know, the studies and so forth. They, they are more likely to see women as objects, to see women as objects that you can even be violent with. It's really true. It's really true. Yes. So I've heard of a, like a lot of spitting and sorry, but a lot of spitting and choking. Well, somebody tried to choke me and, and look, this is not, we're not talking about BDSM, like BDSM is a choice people who are into it, you know, that's fantastic for you guys have at it. And like, but if you're not into that as a choice and somebody just comes at you with something violent like that, it can feel very threatening and and not at all exciting. And this happened to me the first time I was in a hotel room in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there, I did a documentary film about dating apps as well for, for HBO that came out in 2018. So I'm there shooting my documentary with my camera guy he went to bed he's in his room and I'm in my room and I'm like I'm kind of horny I think I'm gonna <laughs> I think I'm gonna see if what's up on tinder so um I think it was tinder and I met this kid and he I say kid because he was in college he was probably 19 or 20 years old but you know he's old enough to to have had sex with women I mean we met in a bar and we like had fun talking to each other and I thought it was he seemed nice I, I knew where he went to school all this stuff so he comes up to my room and we start having, we're laughing, like, you know, it felt like, okay, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be like a fun one. He comes up to my room, we start having sex and his hands go around my throat. And, and I was, and he was a big beefy guy, like a football player type guy. And his hands go around my throat and I press him pretty hard. And of course I had heard about choking, but I wasn't aware to the extent that choking really was a thing. Like I didn't really... I kind of heard about it. This is 2016, I think, when this happened. Mm-hmm. So I went into fight or flight mode. I thought I was, I thought he was not really trying, trying to hurt me. And, and, you know, they can hurt you accidentally. Anyway, break your windpipe or something. And, and there's all kinds of reasons why this is not an okay thing to do with someone you haven't discussed this with. So I 
got like this adrenaline rush in my legs. I have freakishly strong legs, like those Russian Jewish peasant woman legs, <laughs> you know, from like my grandmother. So I, yeah, I unfortunately didn't get my mom's long, you know, slender, cool looking legs. Well, no. Okay. I don't mean to leg shame my, my Russian, like, I don't mean to fat leg shame myself, but anyway, I have, I have strong <laughs> ass legs and I just didn't want to die. Hmm. So I put one of my feet on this guy's chest and he just went, it was like a cartoon. Like he just went flying across the room, off the bed, across the room, like onto his butt. And I scrambled off the bed and I, I was like, oh my God, this is a, this is, this, this person is trying to hurt me. So I went over to the, I was looking for, I was looking for a weapon and I picked up a pen and I just sort of pointed at it at him. And I said, do not come near me. And he said, what's wrong with you? What, what's the matter? I said, you were choking me. And he said, but that, that isn't that what girls like. Oh my God. All girls like that. Don't girls like to be oh. choked? And so I said, well, um, why do you think that? Why do you think that? And he said, well, it's in all the porn. I mean, look, and he, and he get my computer, sit on my bed and he shows me all the choking porn and choking is such a common thing that happens in porn that like a lot of porn sites don't even have it as a category because it just happens like in every category that yeah. starts to get choked. He's like, look, look how, look how excited they are when they're choked. Well, sometimes they look excited and sometimes they look terrified and they look like they were crying even. Yeah. So I, that's a real, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's such a gruesome story. And I hope it doesn't like upset anybody too much or like trigger anybody, but it, I think it's important to talk about these things. It's important to talk about like, what well, because this has happened to so many young women I know and have interviewed. And they don't necessarily like it that they're being choked. And it's not necessarily like a cool girl thing to like being choked just because, you know, that's what, you know, whatever magazine or newspaper or whatever is doing the cool girl thing to do now is to be choked story. It doesn't mean that it's true. And, and you're, it's, it's okay to say no. And it's okay to be like, I do not like this. I do not want your hands around my throat as if you're trying to kill me. Thank you. You know, so um, I, I wound up with that particular guy. I don't mean to draw out this anecdote too much, but it was, it, that anecdote is in the book and it didn't end up with, you know, us hating each other and at all. We actually wound up having really good sex because we had had an experience together where something real happened. And I told him everything that I just told you guys, like, no. And he opened up his eyes wide and listened and I think learned. And then we had real intimate sex where we were actually trying to get to know each other through having sex. So, so the exciting thing that would happen sometimes with younger men often happened because of things like that, where I got to be just, just, just because of the things that would happen, I got to be in the role of um, teacher, really. And I, I guess that it, there is something a little exciting about that. But sometimes to be the older one, the one with slightly more power, you know, there, there's all kinds of interesting power dynamics that go in and all kinds of sex. And that's true. But I wouldn't say that that happened every time. It wasn't like every time it's like, oh, young man, let me tell you the ways of women's bodies and you know like I wasn't always in that position like sometimes I was just like oh please get out of here like this is awful and they would say degrading things they would do degrading things it just and then and then as you know if you read the book I did actually fall in love with one of them yeah and that that sounded like that was that was challenging <laughs> um you know what a fuck boy is yes. right but you can tell listeners yeah. in case they don't yes <laughs> Well, a fuckboy is just, I mean, we used to call them man whores. These are not nice words, but I think the difference between fuckboy and, and slut, and I think I've written, even written about this, is that a fuckboy is derided by women and called a fuckboy because of how he treats women. It's not because he's having sex and fucking a lot. It's like, like men or, or, or people call women a slut just purely because she's having sex. No, no, no. We're not shaming the sex. 
we're saying when we say fuckboy, I think that he's a fuckboy because of how he uses women, doesn't return texts, doesn't, you know, disappears, doesn't seem to have any interest in you as a person, you know, all those kind of things. It's about how you're treated in the context of having sex with this person. And yes, they do tend to have a lot of sex with a lot of different women. So this guy that I eventually had a longer thing with four years, um, it's longer than either of my marriages, actually. It was with somebody who, he was only 23 when I met him and I was 49, almost 50. He was not a fuck. He had just arrived from New York, like off the pumpkin truck. And, and he was from the South and he was just sweet just really sweet and I saw him over time turn into a fuck boy and I was kind of worried that this was going to happen when he first came to New York he got a job here and uh I was like "Uh uh-oh we'll see what happens now that he's like living in like an attractive young man living in New York City in the age of tinder let's see what happens to him and in fact he did he was never like openly mean or degrading to me or anything like other men had been in the past, but he just got that dismissiveness and that, that sense of entitlement. And also he was carrying on multiple other things without telling. And now a word from our sponsors. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Support for Everything Is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. Let's talk for a minute about the entitlement. And let's talk about the fact that the cards are so stacked toward men. My younger brother got divorced within the last couple of years. And his experience on the apps was so diametrically opposed to mine that it was crazy. The number- Oh, please. I want to hear about this. Sorry for interrupting. But that is so fascinating. Tell, tell, tell. I mean, there were just options and options. The way that I'm giving you guys the image of me at like 11 o'clock at night saying you can go to bed as soon as you swipe right on one person- Todd had to, he has a girlfriend now, he's in a committed relationship, but at a certain point, 
he had to cut off at four women when he was seeing four women at the same time. Because he could have just, and he told all of them, I just, I just separated from my wife. I'm not interested in a serious relationship. And I said, Todd, they're all going to tell you that's fine. And they all told him <laughs> it was fine. Right. You know, I mean, I think it was, you know, and he has friends who just went way off the deep end and practically became sex addicts because there are so many options. Well, you know, there is now a serious problem with that. It's um, there, it, like, it's not talked about a lot, but there is a serious problem now with addiction to dating apps. I, I interviewed a girl. It didn't wind up being in the book, but I, I did interview a girl who was treated, a, a young woman who was treated for it. And um, I wrote this story, Tinder in the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse in 2015. I don't write the headlines. <laughs> dating Apocalypse was actually a quote from a young woman. But of course, you know, people just jump on you for the headline. Oh, it's not a dating apocalypse. People still date. Okay, fine. But a lot of things that I said and or that or that people said to me in that story wound up being completely true now and they're just taken as truth. I just happened to come out with it the first time. And one of them was about fuckboys and about the incredible options that a young, attractive man in a city like New York, and not even just in New York, other places too, has with these apps. I mean, they're really designed this way. I mean, come on, the early interviews with the guys from Tinder pretty much make it clear mm -hmm. that these are hookup apps. They're just for fun. This is what Sean Rad and people like that were saying in big publications like Time Magazine in 2014. I mean, now they've changed their tune a lot because of different things that have happened, the feminist wave that's happened and stuff. And they, they say different things, but this is really what they were saying is that the, these are for fun. This is for hooking up. And I mean, it's not hard to see how it particularly um, tips the balance of power towards, towards men, especially straight white men who are also the designers of these things. So this one guy that I interviewed in the story from 2015, I think in the story we call him Alex. I call him the Tinder King because he was this real good looking Wall Street bro. And, you know, like one of those guys who just looks like a wolf. He like actually looks like a wolf. Mm -hmm. So he and his buddies were telling me like, yeah, it's like Monday it was this girl, Tuesday it was that girl, Wednesday it was that girl and all this stuff. So he kind of became my friend. I don't judge, like, again, I don't judge these guys if they're not actually like hurting someone. I, I don't judge them because again, I think that they are being inculcated into the worst aspects of toxic masculinity through these apps. Also, you never know when they're going to be a good source for something else. So I kept talking mm -hmm. to him. I kept talking to him and I get this text from him saying like, uh, what do you do if you feel like you're going to kill yourself? Mm. And uh, I was like, what? And he wound up going to the emergency room. Um, he's fine now. He went to rehab for a whole host of addictions. They're all, I think, interrelated. In America, we have such an addiction, addictive culture. It was alcohol. It was cocaine. It was dating apps. It was, yeah, like sex addiction, all this stuff. And his, he told me one of his... Um, his, his, his therapist or something, the person taking care of him told him that he needed a hobby, right? Oh God. So I'm not making this up. He started swing dancing. <laughs> he is now an active member of the swing dance community, which I'm kind of jealous. Like I would love to know how to swing dance. Like swing dancing looks so fun. And he swing dances and he met someone in the swing dancing world so I'm not saying everybody needs to go out there and swing dance of course not um but avoiding fuckboys on these apps who like you know that's probably a good thing which I didn't do <laughs> but but Nancy Joe, what do you do with the most toxic fuckboy up there which is the talk which is the fuckboy who masquerades as a sensitive man oh the soft until oh the soft boy that's what they call this, the soft boy the soft boy who then once he gets his dick wet is out of there the soft boy the soft boy is a guy who you know he's really sensitive and he talks about his emotions and this is what I hear from my young women friends. And he puts that he's a feminist in his bio, on his profile. And he wants to talk about like feminist stuff and all this stuff. But yeah, he just does the exact same thing as a fuckboy, which is, oh, but he also lets you know because he's very ethical about his fuckboyness. 
he lets you know that he's ethically non-monogamous. <laughs> you know, he puts that in his profile too. Ethically non-monogamous. Yeah, that's, I am so much better at avoiding such types. Like I was always much more into like the bad boy, which is basically a misogynist. And I talk about that in the book too. How like bad boy actually means misogynist. It's really, it's really scary to think that so many women are attracted to quote unquote bad boys. Cause basically I think it's like, I am attracted to misogyny, to misogynist. So I was always more like attracted to the guy in the leather jacket, you know, on the motorcycle than the guy who would be like, I'd like to talk about my feelings. And that's, that's not, I'm not saying that, that that's good. And it's really not good. And it's certainly never served me well. Did you run into soft boys? Is that what you're saying? Were you, did you? I had a very disappointing experience with someone who I like realized was a soft boy. What I now realize is a soft boy who came on in a, you know, very sensitive, very interested, very attentive. And then it took me like, and then kind of, you know, was still in touch, but was clearly blowing me off and creating distance. And I was like, after a week, I was like, oh yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> Like, I thought he was really nice guy. This guy's a dick and this is what he does. Yeah. And it, it, it is, I'm like 57 years old. I feel like I've had every kind of male behavior lobbed at me. <laughs> yeah. This was new. This, I had to, I had to like take off my hat to him. This was an entirely new pathology. <laughs> it's new and but, it's so common. I hear, oh, I hear about the soft boys so much. My friend, Abigail, she's, she's a character in the book. She's wonderful. She's one of my favorite people in the whole world. She's how old is she now? She must be 28 or 29 now. And I've been talking to her for years about this stuff. And she tells me these wonderful stories. And she's the one who, who came up with the phrase in the book, device wife. That's a whole other thing. When they want to <laughs> use your, your presence in their phone as a way to have a wife without you even being their girlfriend, or maybe even never having met them. They're just like, Hey, sweetheart, what's up? I, I just, um, I just, I just went to uh, McDonald's or whatever. And you're just like, why are you telling me anything? Like, <laughs> I don't even know you. So, but anyway, Abigail in the book, Abigail, she told me recently about a soft boy experience that was just so insane. And he went to such lengths to make her think that he was interested and, and seriously interested, you know, mm-hmm. because I think that's what they feel like makes them good makes them a good person, makes them a good man is, is performing all of the, you know, performances of, of being a, a man who's interested in a commitment, but that's even almost worse in a way, isn't it? I, yeah. I knew a guy who carried tampons in his bag. Oh my God. I'm not kidding. Stop. And, and I was not, I was not having sex with him. He was just a friend. And I was like, you have to be fucking, he was like, well, you know, if a woman ever needs one. And I was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> Uh-huh. that's real that's like borderline something yeah. i don't know i mean that's it's, it's a smooth move i get i don't know like what would you <laughs> i guess i guess like what are you doing with a fucking tampon do you have a vagina it's just weird <laughs> um, I, I that's a new one to me. I, I thought you know it's a new one to me too but he's <laughs> he is much younger than me like 20 years younger and we were working together out at a bar one night and he was telling me that he carried tampons <laughs> I don't, it was one of those moments where I was like, I really don't understand your generation at all. Like I will never like. You know, <laughs> and one of the reasons I wrote this book is obviously it's for women to read and, and feel some solidarity with. But if any man does read it, I want them to know just how much, it's not that we love to sit around and slag off on men. It's not that, it's just like, they really need to know how much this affects us from the time I started, when I started thinking about my dating life, I also just started thinking about my life as a woman and a girl in the world, you know, starting turning my reporting skills on myself and seeing really how from the time I'm very young, this stuff affected me, you know, whether it was, I don't know, stuff in the media or the way, boys would say things to me or stuff that happened to me in elementary school even there was this boy who used to grab my boobs all the yeah. time and and like you think like you you put it you put it in a compartment and you put it in a little box on the shelf saying like okay that happened it's over but it's not it's not over 
I, I know trauma is such an overused word and it's, believe me, a word I never thought I would use because I, I, I know I'm a privileged white woman living in America, but you're allowed to have trauma. I, I, I carry around a lot of trauma that I wasn't ever really aware of till I hit menopause. And that's because it created this whole revolution in my mind, thinking about who I was because I was changing so much. And, um, I went through, I guess, what you know they call a midlife crisis in a way. And I started thinking about everything that had ever happened to me that had fucked me up. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you know, going back to those Russian Jewish peasant genes, I'm like a tank. Like I get through stuff. Like I can get through almost anything. And, and I've gotten through stuff, but that doesn't mean it hasn't felt good, it, that it's felt okay that, or that I haven't been affected. You know, there's a lot of dents on this tank like dents and holes and, and scars. And, and, and I was just like, wow, this tank is like, it needs an overhaul. So I just sort of started looking at all this stuff and saying like, man, I want, I want men to really straight men in particular to really understand every little comment you make on Twitter, every little thing you say, every text you don't return because you're feeling yourself and you think like it's you're feeling real powerful because you're treating somebody like they don't really matter all that much to you all of these things and and worse things that you might do um without even realizing it or maybe you do realize it but you're hurting someone and and i just realized late in life recently that this this had hurt me yeah are you still are you still on dating apps? Oh no. 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 I don't mean to laugh. No, question, no, you're not. No. Not I, I, <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I go on them periodically just to check it out and see like how it's going on the apps and if things have changed. And I don't see that things have really changed that much. In fact, I think since the pandemic and COVID, it's only become more um overwhelmed it's the space is more overwhelmed with people just looking for love and connection and not getting it and and that's even borne out in the business pages i mean mm -hmm. you google dating apps have surged they love that word surge and it's just there's just a million pieces about it so and this is not just here but all over the world one of the things i found so interesting and in how the book opens is about covid and about how covid affected dating and i was just thinking about you know, that there's such a lack of serendipity and discovery. And then particularly during COVID that's even taken away even more, right? And then I saw that in the book, there were 3 billion downloads of the app or something like some insane number just as we went into lockdown. And I, I think it's interesting that, that COVID increased our dependency on these apps. Of course. I mean, I don't know if, you know, the, the Naomi Klein book, Shock Doctrine, mm -hmm. is all of the famous Naomi Klein book that's all about how corporations, governments capitalize upon disaster. So I think that this was a clear-cut case of Shock Doctrine for dating, what I call big dating for the dating companies. I mean, this was Shock Doctrine. Like, wow, okay. So we just have all of these people. They cannot go out and meet anyone in any other way. Yep. I went on some, I went on more dates during COVID than I usually do. And, and how did your, how were your dates going? Like, what were they like as opposed to before COVID? Well, they were either just first dates with people I wasn't that interested in, or it went farther, you know, if they had the antibodies or something. But, um, but there were, I mean, I could tell the difference in the quantity and quality of the people who were online once COVID happened. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Well, there were just, there were just more people. There were just more fucking people on there. And there were men who I think probably had been reluctant to be on naps before, but were now doing it because it was the only game in town. Right. I think. But I did have, I mean, I will say that during COVID, I had some of the most impersonal sex of my life as a result of COVID dating. Well, impersonal sex doesn't necessarily have to be bad, right? I mean, sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it can be bad. I just think that what I would like to see overall in the whole context of dating, you know, regardless of what sex you want to have or, or do have is that people would treat each other with more respect overall. Mm -hmm. And this is 
this is the thing that I think that these apps have completely broken down is the, again, the social contract, the, the idea that we owe each other a certain level of, of respect and compassion as people, you know, as human beings that we're coming to in an intimate way, you know, and, and this is what I think they've destroyed. And I think they've just destroyed um, the magic of it for want of a better word. I don't really know what else to call it, but magic, because it, it sure felt like magic sometimes. And I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't want to lie about anything. I just told myself when I wrote this book, you have to be honest about any, everything. I felt some magic with someone I met on Tinder, that person I was talking about that I did have a few years with. We definitely had a connection that is, yeah, kind of magical. But what I try to talk about also is like, that's not enough because what's also happened is this whole landscape has been changed so that it makes it very hard to have a relationship. You know, the end of the rom-com is the beginning of the relationship. So like once you have this person and you're enjoying having sex with this person um, and you're trying to then say, okay, that's the next phase. What are we doing here? What do we do now? What can I expect? How do I what is this kind of thing? You don't necessarily have to have a conversation about it, but you can, although that's something I've learned to do late in life too. It's actually like say what I want and what I think about everything that's going on. I was just always sort of like, okay, well, let's just see what happens. I think that nobody told me for the longest time, like you can actually say what you want and mm-hmm. see if they want to give it to you, you know? Um, Cause women are often told like, you're not allowed to ask, you know? So, but I did learn that. And that's, you know, another thing that the book is about, like, how is it that women like me, like so many are so strong and able to deal with so many things in their professional life? And I had a kid on my own, but then when it came to men, I mean, this is still the realm in which I have so had so much to deal with, you know, so much internalized misogyny, so many like impulses that I learned from society, from my mom, you know, all those things that we do to like, to, to do all the bird, do all the labor, do all the emotional labor, do all the work, do all of this, do all of that. You know, I was doing all that. But it's not easy to have a, a relationship. Social media and the internet have made it harder for people to have relationships because of, I think, beyond apps, because of the breakdown of trust, because of the, I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience. I have so many times where it's at two o'clock in the morning, Facebook message from some guy you knew in high school who's clearly married and you know, like, what the hell are you? He's like, hey, you up? Like, oh, you're looking pretty good these days, you know? And you're just like, oh my God, did he get divorced or something? But then you go to his page and you see that he just celebrated his 35th with his wife and like, what the heck, you know? So I think that there's been a breakdown of trust. There's, it's made it easier for, for people to cheat men and women and men go through this too, but I certainly heard a lot more about men using these platforms as a way to have access to women that they normally wouldn't have had access to. And that even goes for very young women and even children. And let's Mm. face it, this is the dark thing that nobody wants to say or talk about. The most popular age on apps is 18 for women, but that 18 year old isn't even always 18. Sometimes she's younger because they do fake profiles and put them on Facebook. And again, I'm not blaming them. I talk about in the book how when I was a teenage girl, oh my God, I definitely would have been on them. I def- mm-hmm. I, oh my, I know myself. I would have been talking to 35-year-old guys when I was 14. I would have been doing that for sure. Hmm. And that's not because that was a good thing to do. That's because I was being sexualized by my culture. You know, love's baby soft lip gloss yeah. and all that stuff. You know, ditto ditto jeans, you know, like you had to be sexy and all this kind of candies, shoes and all, you know, you were supposed to be a little sex pot when you were like a little kid. Mm -hmm. I say in the book, if I'd been a kid today, my boobs would have been all over the internet. (laughs) I I think about that. I think about that all the time and how many times I would have had my boobs on the internet. It's very upsetting to me. I, I wonder, Nancy Joe, what you think happens next like I have an 11 year old daughter what happens next today I mean this is just seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse right where do we go well 
I hope that eventually this is seen as like a dark age, as like a time of great barbarism, actually. Hmm. I mean, what, what can you call it but barbaric that millions and millions of men send millions and millions of women pictures of their dicks mm-hmm. without asking if they want to right. see them, which most women by studies do not. Like men all over this world are just sticking their dicks in women's faces, so to speak. And I think that's barbaric. And I'm hoping that we will eventually see it as such and that men will become better educated and women, I think, are way ahead of being educated than men are. But also, I would like to see more education, like literally in schools. I think girls need feminism Mm -hmm. and not just lip service feminism or like Twitter feminism, which I'm not knocking it. You know, if that's where they can find it, that's great. And there's been enormous good stuff that has come out of Twitter and other platforms in terms of the feminist wave that we're in. Wouldn't it be nice if that was backed up by actual curriculum Mm -hmm. where, you know, you actually read books and, and people, people like Audre Lorde and, and Andrea Dworkin and, and, you know, if you want to go back further, Margaret Fuller, and like, you actually teach kids the history of women Mm -hmm. in this country, and around the world so that you so that boys and girls see that women have made this country, you know, have been a part of everything that's gone on as much as men, and that we are as important. I just, when you don't even teach the history that we've contributed to, how are we even seen as important? How optimistic are you that things will change? It depends what day I, I am talking to you. Like if I go and give a talk at a school or something and um, the parents there are very receptive and, and want to learn more, want to talk about my book, like American Girls, and they want to talk about what's going on with their kids. I go to a lot of schools because they've had terrible problems all over this country. Not so much lately I've been, but, but in the past, you know, and, and when they, they have these conversations and I leave and I see they're still, I have to leave and I see they're still like in the aisles talking, like, what can we do? Let's make a group. Let's, let's, how can we raise our kids to be feminists? How, uh, what can, how can we talk about this with our girls and our boys? Then I feel real optimistic, you know, mm-hmm. I feel real optimistic, optimistic, um, but then, you know, when I see that, um, when I get another, yet another, uh, I have a Google alert on my phone for dating app rape. Uh. And I get them on an almost daily basis from somewhere in the world. There's been something in the news. And that's just what makes it into the news. Like imagine right. how much it's And then, and it's a 13-year-old girl was raped in whatever state, whatever small city, in whatever state. And, and because she went on Tinder or okay cupid and let's not forget bumble bumble is has this you know marketing team which make and media follows suit and makes us think it's this big feminist app but rapes happen on bumble too it's bullshit it's bullshit it's absolute bullshit so then i feel real i feel real pessimistic but i do see i mean we're living in this really exciting time in terms of um raising of consciousness raising of awareness people have a language now to talk about feminism what they which they didn't even a few years ago so i try i want to be hopeful especially for my daughter i want to be hopeful i I look at her and her friends who are so amazing they're different than 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 we were than i was they're different than i was they're they're oftentimes you know so much more aware and self-aware. So I, I do have, I do have hope. I mean, what else can you have? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like a pretty good place for us to stop. Yeah. Thank you. Nancy Joe. thank you so much. How can people find you? Well, I have a website, nancyjosales.com, just like it sounds, N-A-N-C-Y-J-O-S-A-L-E-S.com. And it has, it was like, I, got it designed like in early days, like 2004. So it's kind of an older looking website, but I think it's also kind of fabulous. And uh, I mean, looking, the design is really, really cool, I think, but it's a little older, but I have pages for my books. Um, You can find out where to buy them there. And I'm doing, I made a Spotify playlist for like 
my new book, Nothing Personal, because I wanted to share songs that have been important to me throughout my romantic life. And that includes stuff like, uh, you know, Love and Affection by Joan Armitrading, but also uh, Fuck and Run by uh, Liz Fair. I know. Well, that was like, that was the anthem to my life that, you know, and uh, for a long time. And um, it's also, I'm going to, I have a video on there that I'm going to have more videos. I, I still continue to be really interested in dating app culture, especially as it affects women. So I'm going to be doing more articles. I'm, I'm sorry, interviews with, with, and videos with young women and men on there. And you can see the film swiped on HBO. It's still on all HBO platforms and also Amazon prime. Although I don't get any money for that. It's just a few bucks. Thank you so much, Nancy Joe. This is a really brave book you wrote. You talked, you, you really told your story in a bracingly honest way. And it's something I really admire. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. So good to talk to you again. All of you, thank thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. Our producer is Natalie Rivera. If you want to support the show, please join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. And be sure to rate and rate it and review us on all the platforms, which really makes a difference. You can follow the show's Instagram at EIF podcast, email us at everything is fine, the podcast at Gmail, and you can find Kim on her blog, girls of a certain age.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 